listeners how are you i'm good how are you paula not too bad not too bad it's a slightly different room than i was last time me too yeah well this is the first one we've recorded in a little while where we're not actually um together we're doing it uh, virtually again um so hopefully um we don't have any more technical difficulties like we have done in the past fingers crossed i think the the final product will uh, will, will show so how have you been since last time Yes, not too bad, thank you. I've been uh, watching some good horror films, including um, a few Italian giallos with uh, with you. We actually uh, we got together in preparation for this uh, Argento, Dario Argento-themed episode, which you are a, a director which you are very literate on. Me, not quite so much. So, um, for the, yeah, for our for our homework for this one, we watched three Argento movies and we will be talking on this episode about those three movies but also about um, uh, Dario Argento's filmography as a whole and a little bit about Italian horror and uh, giallos. Because we did this thing about what two weeks ago right? Uh, yeah I think two or three yeah two or three weeks ago yeah. And we I think we made a point to pick um Three, not necessarily his biggest films, but three important films in a in a career. So I mean, we obviously won't spoil them now. But for any lead, we picked his first film, his most famous, and what is considered his last somewhat decent movie. <laughs> decent. Uh, don't know about that. I don't know about that. I don't know about decent. The last of anything you should really watch from him. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I agree with it afterwards. And yeah, it got. Uh, it was. Fairly well received in the grand scheme of things. I don't know why. I I thought um we'll backtrack a little. We'll get to this last film, but yeah, the three the three films that we'll be focusing on this are the Bird with the Crystal Plumage, which is his debut feature, uh, Suspiria, which is uh, undoubtedly his most famous movie, and I think generally regarded as his best one by a lot of people. And and then uh, Sleepless, which came out in uh, 2001. So, uh, uh, you know, it, it's a movie, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, we got together and watched uh, those three because, yeah, you, you chose this, the um, topic of this episode. Um, but, and you're obviously a big Italian horror fan and a big Argento fan. But before we get to that, uh, what movies have you been watching? Recently, Paolo, have you seen anything good? Anything scary? No. No? Ashamedly, I haven't really had much time to watch anything, really. The part, I mean, the last film I saw is not even horror adjacent, so we won't even uh, get into it. But I haven't watched much. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie to you. I really, it, I find, I find quite that quite disappointing. But I haven't going through the rolodex in my head. I haven't seen much horror. Okay, fair enough. Um, have you seen? Yeah, have you seen anything? Anything? I've read a lot. Any- Okay. I've been reading a lot of horror. Oh, okay. Well, talk, well talk about that then. Uh, a book called Starvaker. Okay. Which, What's that about? So it's about this couple whose uh, child has died. And uh, the wife who is, you know, broken apart, go to these seemingly malevolent 
occultists, funnily enough, to mirror our last episode. And um, she basically sees the light and the husband does not believe. And the film, so, uh, the book, sorry, jumps back and forth with uh, when the kid was alive and the issues they had. And um, okay, it's folk horror. It's weird horror. It's sort of Lovecraft. Okay. Totally see how some people wouldn't like it because there's a lot of atmosphere, but it doesn't, it leaves things very open-ended. But the last line... I loved it. killed me. It, it was such a left... I, I mean, I don't know how much you want to spoil when it's spoiled. No, let's not spoil a, a, a something. When it's fun. It's, song, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And in... Okay. Not so much preparation for this, but I also did read uh, Dario's autobiography. Uh, okay, yeah. You were trying to encourage me to read that, and I, um, I, I, didn't, get, I didn't get around to that, unfortunately. He's not being invited around anytime soon, I can tell you. Really? Uh, not, uh, we can get into sketchy. it. We can get into it later. Okay. But he's not coming Okay. <laughs> okay, okay. Oh, I'll cancel my dinner party uh, plans with uh, <laughs> Dario Argento then. I need to read a bit more horror literature, I think. I do read a lot, but I rarely read um, horror. So I would quite like to um, start doing that. Um, but yeah, I watched a couple nights ago In the Earth, Ben Wheatley's latest film, which I think you've seen. Yes, I, I saw it um, quite a while ago, actually. Okay. Did you see it in the, in the cinema? Yeah, I didn't see it at the cinema, but I saw it around the same time it was at the cinema. If you see what okay. I mean. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I really liked it. I could totally see... I felt that you would, yeah. Yeah. There's one point that I could see everyone going, come on. Yeah, there's, uh, you know, halfway through the film, and I could totally see how some people would just switch off. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't love it. I'm not a... I like Ben Wheatley. I don't like all his films. I did think this was so. Um, the premise is about scientist, a researcher, and a, a guide, a um, you know, park ranger guide who go out into the forest. It's sort of set like during something like COVID, but you get the impression it's something far worse than COVID, and society's kind of like at its knees. Um, and then yeah, they're they're out in the woods. They all their stuff gets stolen, and then they meet Reece Shearsmith, who initially gives them. Food and shelter, and then turns out to be um, the exact sort of person you'd expect Richard Smith. To be. <laughs> yeah. And then it gets very weird and very psychedelic. And I think it had some interesting ideas about about nature and about uh, human humans humanity's relationship with nature and sort of how science and religion both feed into that. And there's a lot of psychedelia and a lot of um, spooky stuff going on. But I thought it was kind of all over the place, and I don't really know what it was trying to say and I'm not sure maybe maybe Ben Wheatley does know what he was trying to say but I just thought it was quite a messy film even though I did think there were things about it that were interesting and things about it that worked and I did find it quite scary at times overall uh yeah wasn't a fan and it was too long you think yeah it's not even two hours it is an hour and a half that movie needs to be an hour and a half and no not a minute longer it's not that much longer is it than an hour and a half Mm. It was nearly two hours. Anyway. I could kind of feel that was going to be your opinion before you even saw it. To be mm-hmm. So I remember talking to you about it. It becomes a field in England the second half, which I know is a very divisive... I haven't actually seen that. Okay, interesting. I would, I would be interested to see what you thought of both those films after seeing A Field in England. I do. It's been on my list a while uh, for a while, actually. Uh, a Field in England. Even if I don't massively enjoy Ben Wheatley's films, I think that he's got a very unique voice. Um it was an ambitious film and it was trying to do a lot of things and I can always respect a film and a filmmaker that is trying to sort of break new ground and do something different, even if it's not entirely successful. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I thought there was great tension in it when they first go into the woods. And like you were saying, the whole premise where they're trying to meet the scientist who's gone off the grid. Um, yeah. And then the vibrations and, you know, I kind of, mm. I don't know, I, I thought it was like, it's funny you say you felt it was a bit um, sort of unlettered and a bit all over the place. I kind of thought there was like an interior logic and it knew sort of where it was, where it was going. But I know more people ha dislike it than do like it. Yeah, I think it was a bit of a polarizing uh, film, but um, but yeah, it's still. I think you know, I, w I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to everyone, but I think for for sort of horror and genre fans, yeah, I think uh, it it definitely will um, have people that would definitely enjoy it. Um, I'm also also just going to briefly mention, as you did uh, literature, which I think you know we can branch out. We don't always have to talk about films as long as it's. Uh, you know, horror based uh, a TV show called Yellow Jackets, which I think I might have mentioned to you. Or you I've may heard, have heard of about it. it. I've heard of it. I thought it was a film, TV series. No, it's a TV series. So it's about girls' uh, high school football team who are they're on a plane to like a sort of national competition, and their plane goes down. They are stranded in the woods, sort of like um, there's a couple. I think there's there's like there's a male coach and a uh, a couple other male characters, but predominantly. Um, uh, women all stuck in the middle of like their big forest in Canada for um, for 18 months or so and it go it flashes from that and then forward to 2021 to present day where there are a few survivors and it sort of flits back and forth and you slowly sort of discover what happens and what you know how they survive when they were there so it's sort of like Lord of the Fly a bit Lord of the Flies a bit like Lost I never saw Lost but it's got that comparison because it starts with a plane crash and people are stranded and everything. But it's really, really good. One, probably the most violent and gory TV show I've ever seen. It's like, oh my... Like, Maybe you have explained it to me now you said that because that sounds yeah. familiar. I feel like you have said this. There's some really graphic violence um, and it's got really good performance as well. Um, Christina Ricci and Juliette Lewis are in it in the in the present day. And they're both really Christina Ricci in particular is really really good in this, um, and yeah, it's just a really uh, yeah really different, really really entertaining, really interesting sort of twisty turny, you're not sure what's going on kind of thing. I don't know. I I worry that they may it may lose steam in the next season. It did get a new season at least, which is good. Um, but yeah, that's that's definitely my recommend of things I've watched recently. Uh so it's on Now TV okay, yeah, okay. or um or Sky, I think if you've got Sky, the the it's uh Showtime is its American um sort of TV network, but Now TV is uh, how I watched it. Okay, I've heard yeah, I, cause now, now you've explained it again. I do actually remember you telling me about it, but I've seen a couple of people I've got on Letterbox um writing it quite highly too. So, should mm. be good. Yeah, 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 I'll look into it. A couple recommends there, but yeah, without further ado, Let's get into everything Argento. Drum roll, please.
as previously stated, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we went together and watched three movies that we uh, curated between us. Well, you you chose them. I, I obviously you picked the Argento episode, and I thought, okay, let, we could focus on three films and then talk a bit about Argento as a filmmaker as a whole. Mm-hmm. And then I gave, I left it up to you to decide which three films to watch. So you turn up at my house uh, with about uh, how, 15 DVDs. <laughs> it was pretty much every Argento movie minus like four. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then spend a lot of time going, mm, oh, I don't know. Mm, mm, I don't know. Eventually. Yeah, there, there was a lot of back and forth. There was a lot yeah. of back and forth. But we got there in the end. So Argento was born in Rome in 1942 to... Um, a Brazilian or oh, an Argentinian uh, mother who was a photographer and his dad, Salvatore Argento, who was a film producer. He grew up on the basically living the lap of luxury, really, by being surrounded by, you know, some of the biggest Italian names at the time. Um, he used to hang around a lot in his mum's studio, which you now watch his films, how he can just photograph women in the most stunning way possible. He was quite a sick child. Um, he had like night terrors and was quite a sensitive soul by the sounds of it. Within that, he found comfort in his own company and the library and specifically stuff like Edgar Allan Poe. He enjoyed the darkness by the sounds of it. Uh, okay. You can definitely see the um, Edgar Allan Poe influence, particularly in uh, Burn of the Crystal Plumage. Yes, and later uh, Inferno as well, I think. Huge fan of Freud. His first big break was working with Bernardo Bertolucci, who went off and did... The film with Marlon Brando and the butter. Last Tango in Paris. Last Tango in Paris. Last Tango in Paris. Yeah. And Dreamers, which is based on the Jean Cocteau book, which is great. Um, so uh, okay. Bernardo Bertolucci uh, and Dario Argento both worked for and with Sergio Leone on the now famous Once Upon a Time in the West. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. so that was his first writing credit. Before and around the time, Argento also was a film critic, which is kind of funny to think considering the last 20 years of his films. <laughs> yeah. And he partnered up with his dad for the production of his first film, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, which he wrote and directed. Uh, teamed up with his mm. dad, and it was jumping on the tailcoat of a genre of film that had started about 10 years before this, uh, not even really, about eight years before this, with Mario Bava, who was considered the godfather of Italian horror. And the genre was giallo means yellow in Italian and it's based upon pulp crime novels uh, much akin to people like Agatha Christie I mean, last night in Soho I guess you could argue was a neo giallo this sort of like lurid yeah. um, convoluted mystery I remember once me and you watched uh, the first Saw movie as well and you sat down and you went that this is a giallo bear that in mind and as I was watching it I was like yeah it's, it's totally is a, a giallo you know convoluted Convoluted mysteries, sort of police procedural, but also, you know, focusing on the killer. Um, black gloves uh, seem to be crucial to this genre. Black gloves. Fetishism. We'll get onto that later, but there is a real fetishistic, like masochistic quality mm. to a lot of these movies. But they're also yeah. shock machines, you know, they're, they're made, to, they're designed to sort of shock the audience, not necessarily with violence, which they do. But with just crazy mm. plot twists and, you know, pulling the rug from under your feet. You know, I guess yeah. a more mainstream example as well would something be like Dress to Kill. It's a pretty... Yeah. It's so odd to, to think that um, Brian De Palma denies knowing anything about Argento. It's, it's weird. Um, Argento's first film, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, is the first, or at least what is now considered the first archetypal giallo. Mario Bava did uh, Black Sabbath, which we covered in our first episode, which was a portmanteau film. And the second film, or the, the, the first, sorry, the first segment in that film is a, is a segment called The Telephone. 
and it is about a woman who is getting phone calls from an unknown killer threatening to kill her. Um, okay. It all takes place in her in her front room, uh, and her friend comes along to help. Turns out they had a le- lesbian love affair, and plot twist, I won't mention. Nuts and bolts, Jello. Then, obviously, the grand one came out with uh, The Girl Who Knew Too Much, which was, again, a Mary Bob uh, with okay. John Saxon, which was a riff on the Hitchcock film, The Man Who Knew Too Much, which is ironic, yeah. seeing yeah. the lineage Argento is now considered the Italian Hitchcock. So there is a sort of Hitchcockian lineage with all of these Jellos. And then, obviously, Blood and Black okay. Lace is what is considered, I guess, the first true Jello of its time. Uh, okay. I think I've seen that one. I haven't seen... Um... Any other of Mario Barber's films, I don't think, but I'm pretty sure I've seen Blood in Black Lace once upon a time. We might have yeah. watched it even got to this film. Probably. So those all came out, that was all um, 60s. 66. Sort of time, Mario Barber's time, yeah. Well, that's another sort of trope in, um, trope's the wrong word, uh, feature of Argento's films is uh, vivid colour and very deliberate use of colour, which is uh, something I think is always really, really interesting in. Um, sort of film good 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 you're in, well you're in for a good episode yeah i guess uh bird with the crystal plumage was really the film that put all the jello traits or tropes as you're saying on the map black gloves convoluted plot um sort of violent set pieces that were more done in a very typical italian fashion of art for violence um or yes. violence is art more so not really much, you know, like a, like a lot of films, older horror films, which are thought of as being very shocking, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Psycho. There's not actually much violence or really any gore in this. There's just the implications of it. But it's still very, very effective. The, the, um, the murder sequences in this are still quite shocking, I think, even though you don't actually see any blood or violence yeah it, i think it's because the, they're just super stylish i think really at, at the crux of it when people talk about stylish jello movies they're talking about argento movies you know lo- yeah. there, there, there are countless other jello films but some of them are, are, are fun some of them are good and some of them are terrible uh but they all mm. have flourishes really stylistic flourishes but you want to know what real like jello style is that you know people mainly talk about gentle movies for good reason you know there's not many kills in bird with the crystal plumage but good god you remember them and they're super star and you're yeah. saying they're still well we get onto it in a sec but yeah there's still a sense of threat i feel argento is now considered you know one of the greats which is why his last 20 years is like so like bitter to see considered the italian hitchcock um influenced everybody from scorsese to tarantino Everybody, really, you know, there's uh, even Edgar Wright, Wes Anderson, and Wes Anderson, yes, yes, he's the horror Wes Anderson thing you once said. (laughs) We'll get to that in Suspiria, yeah, but um, that, yeah, you know, almost, you know, I sort of jokingly said that when we were watching it, but I bet um, Wes Anderson was totally influenced by uh, Suspiria and maybe some of Argento's films, definitely, definitely. So, yeah, that's kind of his very short, um, intro i mean i don't think i'm sure i've missed things that you know i'm sure i haven't done him complete justice um if anyone's interested there's a great book by alan jones called uh broken minds and broken mirrors um uh there's a book called dario argento which is great and then there's also the autobiography called fear by dario argento i'd recommend picking all of those up or at least flicking through them to get a real in-depth because he's, he's an interesting guy there's a lot of mythology and a lot of thought behind his his good work even though, yeah, even though he's done a lot of rubbish. He's done, I mean, I still think he's done more good than rubbish. I mean, how many filmmakers can say that they've got a completely clean sheet and never made a bad film? Very few. 
Igmar. Yeah. Paul Thomas Anderson. Sure, sure. Even though I didn't love licorice pizza, but it's still... So yeah, that's that's the uh, that's uh, a brief Argento biography and his you know his place within cinema. But um, he's a legend. So, yeah, the man is a legend. We... Paolo really likes this guy. <laughs> uh, so let's uh, get a little more in depth about his yeah his first movie, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Inspector Morosini. I want to know everything you saw and heard. I can't pin it down. There was something wrong with it. Something odd. There is a dangerous maniac at large in this city. Do you really love me? Sure. And just before we closed, we saw that painting that was in the window. Did you make the sale? I know. Uh, the poor girl did. Last night, a blonde, 28, lived alone. The press are beginning to put two and two together. They think they see a link between the four murders. No! 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 I feel that I'm getting closer to the truth every minute. That's why he's trying to kill me. The setup for this movie, he, um, our protagonist, he's a writer and he's feeling a bit frustrated and um, I think he's kind of got writer's block and he's looking for like his next big story. Um, and a few minutes into the film, he's walking down the street and across the street in this art gallery, he sees a man and a woman struggling with a knife. He runs over, the woman is stabbed and the guy runs off through a secret door. So yeah, then he's a witness to this murder. He's sort of stuck in this weird glass-like corridor <laughs> thing for a bit, which I thought a bit strange. I thought, like, why, why is he stuck in this? But um, Anyway, so yeah, he's a witness to uh, this murder. The police come. Uh, the woman is hospitalised and then he starts sort of assisting the police with the investigation and he's getting very caught up in this. You can see that it's sort of, you know, it's getting his writer's sort of brain going. He's, he's you know, he, he becomes very invested in this murder in an almost unhealthy and obsessive kind of way. Um, and whilst this is happening, we start to see, you know, the aforementioned black gloved killer stalking and uh, murdering women. Um, the first kill in particular, again, you don't really see anything, but I found it really quite uh, shocking and disturbing. And much like the famous bathroom sequence in Psycho, it really feels like you're seeing someone get some, um, getting stabbed to death and brutally murdered, even though you don't actually see any, you know, you don't see the knife going in, you don't see any blood, but the way it's directed and the way it's shot really makes you feel like you do. Mm. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an anxious scene. Well, I think we might as well jump in straight there. I mean, because like, fetishism plays such a big role in, in a lot of Argento movies. But in this one, I mean, this one is almost like the Argento fetish. You know, the film opens, you know, typewriters, 
leather gloves. Um, even like you know yeah. the way the killer lays out all of the knives, and obviously the the, the murder scene in which you're talking about is that there's a sexual threat. It's not a it's not a rape scene, but it's it feels mm. almost like that. Yeah, the killer tears off panties, and you know, then you can see, you know, just before you see the knife penetrate, you see, you know, there's a a flick, you know, a splosh of blood. You see what I'm doing there? Yeah, splosh. It's there's a lot of fetishizations in it, and you're talking about the oddness about him being trapped in the the, the glass thing. I think that it like perfectly sums up the voy- voyeuristic motif and the bigger metaphor for pretty much all of Argento's films, where a okay. the protagonist is just stuck. In this situation that they don't want to be in. Yeah. And they're just kind of thrown into it. Um, and even within that opening uh, attack scene where he's stuck having to watch in the art gallery. It's, it's, I think it's important to say that each shot, it's got another piece of artwork within the frame of that whole sequence. Mm. You know, and there's pointy objects, there's, you know, fingernails, there's eyes. It's, it's all like it's steeped in, I guess you could argue, you know, Freud's idea of, fetishistic imagery um, like i was saying knives yes um eyes tunnels more phallic objects and it's everywhere mm. and yeah i i think yeah it's a great metaphor that whole sequence of him stuck okay interesting when i first when we first started watching it i my initial thought was this is kind of dumb interesting uh, okay i suppose with that interpretation and and you know that's early on in the film the film then went on to uh, impress me quite a lot um but at that but yeah i suppose in with that in mind it's um it does make sense in being just i just thought through the, the logic of it you know like health and safety how is he stuck in this <laughs> why is the door not opening <laughs> but um that's know, the um, issue with, with our gentle movies especially with this one yeah there the, 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 is a surrealist more than anything i, I feel well i think yeah I, I think logic um is people and things and characters don't always behave um as they should um, and yeah, you you do see that in this film. I think this film is a bit more grounded. It kind of functions as a you know a psychological thriller, really. It, it, you know, in the way that a film like Seven does. It's uh, we're following the um, we're, not, we're not following the police. The police are there, but we're you know in the protagonist's shoes, who doesn't know what's going on. We get little flashes of the killer. You know, it's a mystery. You know, it's a mystery thriller. We don't know what's happening until the end. And this is the few Argento movies where. Everything is sort of wrapped up and is sort of accounted for in his own weird roundabout yeah. way. So yeah, as as um, we we see uh, how many I don't know how many murders there are in this film. I mean, there's obviously the one um, that we just talked about, and there's a couple more towards the end of the film. I'd say there about like five or six that? people die in the whole film. No, they're not all murder okay. victims, but um, yeah, because <laughs> the film. Starts off with, you know, the killer photographing the next victim. You don't see her die. But the, the, oh God, it's just such a strong and confident debut. You know, it, it's a hallmark of an Argento movie. You know, the first kill or the first um, victim with the panties. The second one where the woman's in the lift or the third one even. Um, it's yeah. just her with, with, with a matchstick and it's all filmed in the lift. Um, it's just such mm. confident style, and it's it's they're just like little fragments of of, of a nightmare, and it, it's it's you know cliche to say that now about Argento, but um, his films do have a psychological feel to them that they are broken, and this one in particular okay. just has has a very grounded, grounded feel to them. 
Also, very yeah. funny. It, you know, there, there is that Hitchcock feel to this one with the just odd yeah. sort of Italian humor and these kind of quirky, yeah. um, just these quirky characters. Yeah, I think the uh, the um, he he visits someone in uh, prison. I can't remember He's a pimp. why the um, that's it. He's a pimp. He goes to visit a pimp to get uh, who uh, may know something about this murder. He visits him a few times in this. This pimp, he, he has a stutter, and the only way he can sort of get through, his, uh, through a sentence is by saying bye at the end. So he's just constantly talking to him, and then, you know, blah, 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 bye. <laughs> and, it's, and just really, you know, bizarre, but, you know, it works within this sort of um, kind of strange world of, uh, of this film. And it does, yeah, like, like you say, it adds a bit of sort of levity from, we'll sort of have that juxtaposed with a, really shocking murder sequence and i think sometimes in film when it's done well i mean we've talked about how humor and horror can be used badly um in our halloween episode but yeah in this uh, it works very well but that kind of does bring into argento does have a funny streak and it does kind of catch you off guard it does feel like a sort of british cockney you know sort of just oddball character i know what you mean yeah you know, when the, the whole in the in the police lineup where he's like, bring out the perverts, and it happens to be, you know, no, yeah. no, stop, uh, you know, Antonio, he's not a pervert, he's a he's a trans person, you know, and there are these weird. That's, uh, yeah, I remember th- thinking this when we were watching it, and there are a lot of characters um, who are making sort of like transphobic and homophobic comments to other uh, characters, sort of saying, uh, you know, labeling people sodomites <laughs> and everything. And initially, I was like, is this, what, you know, what, what, why is this in the film? Um, and then, uh, you know, as it goes on, you realise it is, it's, you know, it's the police and people of authority that, you know, the bumbling police officers who are making these comments. And then I was like, okay, I think this is just a sort of um, anti-authoritarian uh, comment and, you know, in, in favour of these characters, you know, we're, we're laughing at this, you know, the idiot police characters who are, um, you know, treating people this way. It was, you know, it was kind of strange to see that in quite an early film. I felt like it was um, almost like a pro-queer sort of statement that Argento was making. Unless I've completely misinterpreted that. No, I think you're right. Because, like, literally the film he did afterwards has um, gay characters. There's a whole scene set in a gay bar. And it, it, it's really tactfully done, I feel. And even in... So, sorry, I should say that Bird with the Crystal Plumage is the first in a trilogy of unconnected films called The Animal Trilogy. And each one of these films has... A clue within the title. Each one gets progressively more bizarre. Um, okay. But even in the third film of this trilogy, there is there is a gay detective, and he, he's like quite an important character. And they are it's it's a very progressive representation of of, of a gay character within an Italian film in the seventies, where the, you don't really see yeah. stuff like that. And even later on in his career, where he did where he used um, trans women and uh, had gay characters who were quite important to the plot. Um, so yeah, he's a very progressive filmmaker in that sense, and again, it's cool to see gay characters within this style of film as well, in in, in genre films. You know, you could sort of see this film being a kind of um, a favorite in like late night seventies Soho. Do you know what I mean? It's got this kind of baroque yeah. sort of like avant garde free jazz feel. To yeah, it. I'd say it's almost just sort of subtext. Really, it's not crucial to the plot. Addressing ideas that a lot of other filmmakers weren't addressing at this point, um, which is good to see. So you talked about um, the bird of the Christian Moon as the bird being a uh, clue as such to the mystery at the heart of this film. Are we spoiling so, this? Yeah, we'll, we'll spoil the films which we're talking about. We'll Quick spoil disclaimer, these films. stop listening if you don't know anything about this film because the first time I... 
this film is so much fun trying to figure out what happened. I think a lot of Argento's movies you should see without knowing with knowing as little as you can because the plot twists are great. I, I you know, first time I saw this film, I'd never seen a film play that trick of the fake end, fake ending, and then the real ending. Yeah, I guess it was. Yeah, the sort of thing when you um you watch this in a contemporary setting, you've seen dozens of films sort of um pull the trick that it uh, that this film does. But you know, this film came out in nineteen seventy. Nineteen seventy. It was filmed in sixty-nine, and it was released in nineteen seventy. Okay, so yeah, this was one of the first films to sort of do that. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll spoil this. We'll spoil the ending now. Well, there's a there's a fake out ending initially. We think that we've caught the murderer. It sets the film sets the murderer up to be the husband of the woman who we saw in you know struggling with uh, with the knife and get stabbed at the beginning of the film. Sort of throughout, you know, he's they the police interview him early on and he's cleared of all charges and then later on they kept they catch him again and find evidence to say that actually he has been murdering women and that he stabbed his wife he then falls out the window i can't remember exactly how that ends up happening but they um, sort of have a, him and the police have a wrestle yeah. by an open window <laughs> yeah they do. It's, out it's one of those you see you just see the open window you're like you know someone's gonna fall out <laughs> of that window in the next few minutes um so yeah he dies and then it the film has seemingly ended um, and then we, we both sort of appreciated this. There's this really good uh, crane shot which sort of um, goes from our protagonist walking away to a window where another where we see, you know, we see the black gloves. We realise that actually, um, you know, the, mur- the, the murderer is still at large. Yeah. So uh, the cinematography of this film, it was his, um, uh, the first film that he DP'd, um, Vittorio Serrato. Am, am I saying that right? Vittorio Serrato. You're close. There we go. You got that Italian lingo down. Um, <laughs> this was his. Yeah, this was his first movie. But yeah, he then went on to work with uh, Francis Ford Coppola and um, Woody Allen a little bit, and um, a lot of you know became a very very successful and prolific cinematographer. And you can see that in uh, this film. Bernardo Bertolucci as well with The Last Emperor. Oh, okay. They kept the Italian ties very strong. So it, it all ties together. Yeah, he won. He's won three Oscars for um, cinematography, which um, is yeah. He must be pretty good if he's won that many. You know, mm. even you know, even with with his work with the Bird with the Crystal Blue, there are scenes in that film that just stay with you. Yeah. Um, this is like what true European horror cinema looks like. You know, it, it is a feeling and an atmosphere and a vibe and it's um yeah you know it's a surrealist like trip through a broken mind um and you know that feeling of like fragmented memory is another motif um that comes up in all of argento's movies you know this character who's seen something yeah you do have that the um he keeps remembering the um um the incident the, the struggle that he saw at the beginning of the film he keeps sort of flashing back to it and he seems to think that he's missed something and we find out at the end after we think the killer's been caught and everything and it does that that brilliant shot where it then um pans over to the glove killer we realize that the killer is still at large at the end we find out that the woman the wife who was stabbed is in fact the murderer and she was holding the knife during their struggle and the our writer protagonist realizes at the end that he saw it but he didn't see it uh, and that's what had been sort of playing on his mind um, the whole time. And the bird with the crystal plumage, which the title alludes to, is a painting that 
triggered she so she was some assault before um by the author, by the painter the person who painted this and later on she sees this painting again and it triggers a sort of ptsd and you know causes these sort of psychopathic tendencies causes her to sort of recreate her murders her assault almost by going out and murdering women and it is a really good twist that you don't see coming at all i don't think it's the tape isn't it that the the friend uh, who helps sam write his books in every uh giallo film the killer brings up and it's a i'm gonna kill you i'm gonna kill you and in the background of one of the rec uh, the recordings, you, they hear a noise, don't they? And it turns out That's that it. squeaking, yeah, squeaking she noise the... is the bird with the yeah. crystal plumage next to the yeah. zoo. But even saying it out loud sounds kind of stupid, but in the film, what it's done so well. And, the, the, you know, the plot is convoluted, but like, um, you know, like Agatha Christie or Raymond Chandler novels, all these sort of components and the little uh, bits and pieces to figure out the mystery before the reveal. It is all there in the film laid out to you. It's only when you actually see the ending that you sort of see how it all fits together and everything. And I think that's convoluted, but it is also quite an intricate and well put together film. Yes, it's very well thought out. And it does walk a fine line. Again, we'll keep going back to how confident a uh, debut it is. If it was, there's so much that shouldn't work in this film or could potentially yeah. go wrong, but it just, it, works so well on every level and even the artist that they meet is again just this bizarro sort of he feeds, feeds him a cat doesn't he so he goes to the art the yeah when he's when he's trying to figure out the murder he goes um to talk to the painter this sort of reclusive painter who painted the um uh the titular bird the crystal plumage painting and he says you want some um, he's eating and he says you want some food and then <laughs> after they've had a sort of um a meal together he <laughs> tells them that he's just eating his pet cat it, but this is the thing, just scene after scene after scene, it just hits. It's just such a record hit. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I really, really like this film. This this is this is my, um, out of the three we'll be discussing, this actually is my favourite. I think most people... Um, Why is that? I just felt it was the most... I just felt it all came together better than uh, the other two films. It had a really good... Um, it had a it had a really good narrative. It had a really good um, mystery. I think the the direction, the cinematography is very good, especially when you consider that it was the director and DP's, uh, you know, the first film that they both worked on. Um, the performances were patchy. We discussed this Argento. I don't really understand why, but in a lot of Argento's films, there are actors from Italy and from America and from various places, and they all sort of kind of just speak their own language, correct? And then they're often dubbed over at the end, which creates a way, you know how we sometimes say when we're recording a podcast together, it flows a little better than if we're recording it virtually. You can kind of see that in his films, that everyone's talking different languages and no one really understands what each other are talking about so even if the screenplay is good even if the plot's good the performances i feel are never going to win any oscars in argento's film maybe that's a little different in suspiria i think there's a couple of really good performances in that but in in this i, I wasn't sold on any of the acting but that didn't bother me and that's crucial if that if that if that's if i wasn't really concerned that the acting wasn't very good then other things about the film are clearly working really well so yeah out, out of the out of the three I like Suspiria as well. Maybe not as much, well, definitely not as much as you, but not as much as some horror fans. We'll, dis we'll discuss Sleepless at the end. But yeah, out of, the, out of the three, 
um, this was my favourite. Even if you're not the biggest Argento fan, this is definitely a film you can anyone can come to and get something out yeah. of. Yeah. But also another yeah. um, great performance. You were saying you weren't that big of a fan, but it's great to see uh, Reggie Nambler play uh, or show up. Uh, it was the guy who chases Sam Dalmas through the bus. Oh, yeah. And he and just has a great face. Guy. And it's great. He just has a, you know, a yellow jacket. Uh, yeah, first Argento film I saw, and I'd never seen an Italian horror film before. I'd never seen an Argento film before. I'd heard about him. And it just totally blew me away. You know, what, what, that ending blew me away. And even at the end, you know, the kind of pseudo-Hitchcock ending. That, yeah, you think, the, you think the film ends and then, um, yeah, there's... Um, there's but even the way there. it ends, you know, they have the, the fake psycho thing where, they, where the psychiatrist is explaining why the person's mad. And even the husband of Monica Minieri looks exactly like Anthony Perkins. There's yeah. a whole... Um, you can definitely see the uh, the Hitchcock influence. Um, yeah, and it, it uses that influence well. So yeah, I'd say that just about covers uh, Bird of the Crystal Plumage. So let's move on seven years to his next film. Definitely his most famous film. Possibly the film that the only film that people might have actually heard of, even though you, you could argue it's still kind of obscure. But yeah, 1977 even. Suspiria. Woo! We actually said yeah. it on the podcast, and we we've said it on every episode of this podcast so far, dude. <laughs> Roses are red, violets are blue, but the iris is the flower that will mean the end of it. Nothing more terrifying than the last 12 minutes of Suspiria are the first 92. Suspiria! After Suspiria, you will never again feel safe in the dark. Argento's first um, full-on supernatural film bugs me a little bit when people refer to this as a jello because it's not no it has tropes of a jello but it's a jello fantastic at risk of sound of pretentious <laughs> okay. the film literally opens with a voiceover by argento susie benyon is an american ballet student who goes to germany in freeborg to study at the famous dance academy and turns out it's run by witches which is really the spoiler which alert. Is really yeah. the plot but yeah yeah that spoiler, is, shock that is, you know in, in a nutshell um a yeah woman goes to join a dance academy Weird shit starts to happen. Turns out they are all witches. And that's the bit that... I, my brother's not seen this movie, but he just knows the witches line. Uh, sure, okay, yeah. Susie's doing that. Yeah. That's funny. That's actually very funny. You should do a family screening of it. Maybe. But you've showed me the opening 20 minutes. Uh, you know, literally dozens of times. You know, we, we start with um, Jessica Harper's character. They get to the Dance Academy. And then as she arrives she sees someone running away. We then follow this person who goes to her friend's house and is then murdered in this sort of bizarre, sort of um, otherworldly, horrific way um, that then ends up, you know, her, her, the friend she's seeing ends up getting killed in this altercation as well. But it is just, it's so loud more than anything. I think it's just these, like, got this... Um, the goblin score is just sort of blaring at you. There's all the, you know, um, huge fluctuation of colours. It is just an absolutely bonkers, in-your-face, um, incredibly, wonderfully violent scene. So the, the plot is sort of paper-thin, but it's kind of not the point of the film. 
The film is more interested in visual artifice and just creating this eye-popping psychedelic thesis on the uncanny fear and the bizarre. I think kind of comments on fascism. I think there are definitely, you know, it's a punk horror movie. You know? yeah. It's certainly anti-authoritarian. Or the almost on the nose, hey, aren't all your teachers like witches? You know, oh wait, yeah. they're actually witches. It's, it almost, it feels like a fairy tale as well, you know, throughout. Well, it was based on um, uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. The visual aesthetic is all based yeah. on Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. But uh, it's not really mentioned in... Suspiria, but again, Suspiria is the first in a trilogy called the Three Mothers Trilogy, which has almost got more in common with a Lovecraft story, where these three mothers live in three separate parts of the world, basically are these like old gods that control elemental forces of fire. Wind. Yeah. Um, based yeah. on Thomas de Quincey's novel, uh, Confessions of an Opium Eater, where he believed there were three fates, three furies. And it's not really mentioned at all in this film. It's more in the sequel, Inferno, which I would also recommend watching. I mean, you might as well start about going, you know, the acting is just so much better. You know, you've actually mm. got people like Udio Kier, Jessica Harper. Um, Jessica Harper's really good in this. And um, the, she has a great the actor who plays the sort of... Um, Alda Valley. Yeah, sort of the, uh, the, head of, the head of this school, yeah. Um, She's very good. Um, yeah, very sort of creepy performance. Uh, but she, you know, she, she, and also Flavio Bucci, who plays the blind. Yeah. Which, again, what an, another incredible set piece. And that whole scene they filmed where Hitler used to do his speech, his public sermon. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So there is definitely, definitely, again, much like the, the surrealist, there, 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 there is like down to earth topics in it, but they're more interested in putting a feeling. You, you could look at the whole thing as a metaphor for um, fascism and oppression, but. You don't need to sort of um, have that in mind to enjoy the film. You you don't need that in mind to enjoy the film because it's almost on the surface. You know, the whole Freudian stuff about disgust and the uncanny, you know, the subconscious and broken minds. I remember watching it with you and the, the whole scene. You were saying there's a lot of ick in this film where, you know, there's just this crash zoom onto a banana with yeah. maggots or when she's pouring the wine yeah. down the mm. sink. And it's more what it invokes as opposed to what yeah. you're actually seeing, you know. An exceptional experience. The colour palette, obviously, you know. These... The colour is what it's famous for, I think, even if people haven't seen the film. If they're, if you're a fan of film and filmmaking, you're going to sort of, you're going to have seen some of the shots of this, sort of these vivid red colours. This is what I mentioned Wes Anderson earlier, sort of Wes Anderson's use of uh, colour in something like Grand Budapest Hotel, I think really evokes... Argento, albeit without the uh, the horror and the witches. This is a film purely centred around women. It's all about mm. women. The only men in it are all deformed, specifically, and, and one of them is hinted that he's gay. But it's such a female-led film. But what, again, shows Argento's pure talent is that if anyone else had directed it this time, it would be softcore lesbian porn. And there's no sexualization of. Anyone. Well, the women are all kind of um, infantilized, really. They, you know, it, it seems, you know, they're the way they're dressed in these sort of, you know, long white uh, gowns. And I think you mentioned they built the set, so everything is sort of too big. So the um, the women actually even look like children, I guess, to evoke that sort of fairy tale image. But you're right, you know, no, I don't think there's any character is sort of um, sexualized at all in this film. Despite the fact, you know, there are, you know. Again, fetish images of leather boots, yeah. velvet. You have these very like sensual mm. things, but again, that's what creates that really weird dichotomy where it's just jagged the whole film. Because I'm not the biggest fan of the end. I was yeah. saying to you, the ending always bugged me, and I feel they should have 
brought Udio Kier's character more into the film and they kill him off in the woods or something. I quite like that they don't. It's unusual. It starts off with this incredible, like, dramatic increase. And, you know, usually that's reserved for the end mm. of the film. This film just opens with, like, 20 minutes of... Ah, um, yeah. you know, colors, rain, yeah. um, and again these motifs where you know the the women is whispering half sense. Mm. Uh, Susan Banyan's character keeps going over it in her mind. And, you know, Iris turned the blue one. It's the flower I saw beyond the door. Yeah, and even in the soundtrack, yeah. not you know now that the cat's out the bag. You know, they literally go witches, witches, the yeah, witches. Which makes me laugh that Goblin wanted to work on their English during the soundtrack. So uh, okay. they literally were just mumbling uh, English words into the uh interesting. Into the microphone. But it does work. It's it adds a yeah, adds to the creepy atmosphere. Well it's just jarring, you know, they're, they're, you know, sorry to bang on about the opening twenty minutes, but you want to know how to set up tension mm. and set there are so many cinematic techniques within that first twenty yeah. minutes. Crash zooms, flash cuts, there are um faces that are like reflected off mirrors even when she's looking out the window you're kind of half mm. seeing things half not seeing things the whole film is like this lsd inflicted fever dream nightmare yeah it's all these cinematic devices that are building tension because you don't really see the monster really no and the only no. time you do it's actually played by this 90 year old prostitute who was dying german expressionism is is heavily influenced by that you know there's a lot of shadows for a film that sure it's violent and you know the you know someone gets stabbed you know they're so much of their heart is revealed and they get impaled. Mm. Guy gets his throat ripped out by a dog. But it's still quite a classy film. Colours and the, 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 I hate using this word, but the mise-en-scene <laughs> and the connotation yeah. really yeah. push that film forward of danger. Violence, yeah. be careful. It's very, yeah, the whole, yeah, it's quite an overwhelming um, attack on the senses um, a lot of the time. The ending is what I think, I, I like the ending. I do feel like it sort of, it kind of just ends quite abruptly. The the protagonist slowly does discover that um, this school is run by a coven of witches and that they are killing some of the students. She then yeah talks to Udo Kier's character to get sort of some context on 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 witches and history of witches. Um, d discovers the head of this coven who is this older witch demon lady, Helena Marcos. Uh, she, there's an altercation with the reanimated corpse of uh, dead corpse of her friend. Uh, which I thought was quite good and quite effective. And then, yeah, and then she stabs the chief witch lady, escapes and that's it. And it, you know, and then the credits roll and it's like, it all happens very quickly, I suppose, but, um, and maybe feels a bit rushed. But apart from that, I think it was a well-paced film. Yeah, I love the, I love the use of colour. Um, the score is fantastic. It is, it is, it's a good movie. One of the best. Is it your favourite? Is it your favourite film? It's still in my top five. Um, Last time I watched it was with you, and I must admit, the last 10 minutes, I was a bit like, oh, if only they put another 20 minutes in, where it just didn't feel as rushed. But I feel that's so, that's just prime Argento, you know, you know, even with uh, Deep Red, the film we did before that, the film is purposefully jagged in its pacing. It's meant to kind of give this sort of, you know, the pacing and the feel is more psychological. You know, it's these broken minds and how, you know, it's fractured. Yeah. You know, it's not even really explained why they kill off someone, you know. They're, yeah, you don't really know. You don't know the sort of motivations of this coven. Yeah, I, I like that. They don't have yeah, it. Yeah, well, well, presumably they do, but the film's not interested in, in explaining the that as well. Which is good, you know. I said that again in the Halloween episode. The more you explain something in horror, the less scary it is. It's all the mystery and the... Um, you know, the questions why, which I think add to the horror. And that's uh, definitely something that Argento uses in this. 
Well, yeah, again, it's that surrealist thing of um, the, it's the stuff you can't explain, which is yeah. more terrifying. You know, the thing with the maggots, mm. even, you know, it's not really mm. explained. It's like, did the witches do that or are they victims yeah. of, of, of the mouldy mm. maggot food? You know, there's and everyone is in this sort of bizarre spot. You know, it's Lynchian almost in a sense where everyone is sort of talking like this and staring and no one really knows what's happening. And even yeah. within the soundtrack, you're not sure whether the characters are hearing the soundtrack. At certain yeah. points, and blurring or yeah, creates this weird dreamlike quality. Well, this one specifically, yeah. I think you know, yeah. it's, it's merging science and mysticism. Argento has always played fast and loose with, or blurring the lines between science and, you know, deep red. You know, there's a whole psychic thing in a few of his other films. Even though it's not mentioned, some of the characters are psychic, which is how they can avoid uh, other characters. Okay. And there's all these just again, I'd recommend reading his autobiography, Fear, where he just thought, oh, by the way, yeah, this character was psychic and actually knew could see the future and you're like what what yeah. but that makes total sense within the context of the film yeah. so yeah again though the film is, is, is the plot is could be described in a sentence there is so much within this film um yeah so much context so much subtext um it's a surrealist you know you know i think it's got more in common with louis bunuel and um david lynch than say any other um you know say someone like uh lucio Fulci yeah. or any other yeah you know italian horror schlockmeister but yeah, sure. five out of five. And I know that's deluded because it's not a perfect film. But good okay. God, you're not going to okay. see another film like it. Once you've seen it once and hear the soundtrack once, that's it. That's, that, that film is going to be burnt into your mind's eye. Absolutely. Okay, great. So we've talked about um, two films, two very good films by Dario Argento. Two um, important films in Italian uh, Italian cinema and horror cinema. Now let's talk about Sleepless. Murders like these are not accidental. They're premeditated. He likes to hurt. He likes to hurt human beings. His is not an illness you can cure. Fingerprints and nothing to do with DNA on. How are you going to catch him? So, um, Bird of the Christmas Moves came out in 1970, Suspiria 77. He, he made a bunch of films in between them. I've seen a couple of them, but we won't dwell too much on that. This film came out in 2001. It's English language. I mean, as we said previously. Is it? I don't know. It's so I, odd. Earlier when I was saying, like, um, a lot of the characters feel like, you know, maybe aren't understanding each other because they're not speaking the same language. In this film, it's like they don't understand the language that they are speaking. All of the so Max von Sydow's in this film, and he's quite yeah, he's good. I mean, Max von Sydow is a is a phenomenal is a phenomenal actor. He's doing the best he can with this script and this direction and this piece of shit of a movie. It's really I can't I can't overstate how bad this movie is. So the plot is um, Max von Sydow is a, it, it, I guess you could call this a plot. Max von Sydow is a detective. Um, it starts 
when with him um killing this um this murderer this is is a dwarf serial killer um who who Max one said I've been looking for for a long time um this dwarf they find this dwarf serial killer dead I think or they they shoot him I can't remember does doesn't matter I think it starts off with um he he can he consoles the boy and says I will I will track down your mother's killer who happens to be a murderer that's dwarf. it so murderous dwarf I mean you know fine yeah yeah, fine. You go another murderous dwarf route if you want. Then it gets to seventeen years later, um, and these murderers, these murders. Start, I think he's retired at this point, Max von Sydow's character. But these murders start uh, happening again in in the same vein, and they, they're thinking, well, like how how can these murders be starting again? We we've caught the killer. Um, there's another character as well. So Max von Sydow is obviously like the uh, the big name star and the you know, we, we sort of follow him. More the actual protagonist, there's a younger uh, guy, isn't there, who we're also Who's the kid he speaks to at the beginning? Uh, okay, that was it. I couldn't remember how he actually fit into the plot. So he, this is the son of um, a victim who Max Fonsetto consoled earlier on. And together they um, look for this dwarf serial killer. So as we mentioned earlier, like in Bird of the Crystal Plumage, the death sequences. You don't really see much, but they are quite disturbing. There's a sexual element to them, but they're not gratuitous. This is not the case for this movie. For I mean, for a start, it's incredibly violent. It's very gory, and I, I'm a big fan of gory horror movie. I I quite enjoyed um, those parts, but all the women in this are in, heavily sexualized, and the kills are really gratuitous. If you'd shown me this film after watching both the Crystal Plumage, I would never have thought that this is the same filmmaker like it is a completely yeah different it, it, it's kind of nasty it, it, and it's not even nasty in a video nasty kind of way it's just it just it's just icky you know the the, the so that you know the film starts off with this prostitute and it, she's just completely nude she just starts off completely nude and every woman has just got this really sort of crass porn look to them and you know the violence is it's kind of like nasty you know people getting stabbed in the face but it's not done in this sort of you know, Argento fashion. Mm. I mean, it's not done in this this kind of flourish of like joyous creative art. Yeah. It's just like uh, stabbed yeah. you in the face and someone gets their teeth bashed out. And um, but it exactly. it feels it cheap. Does. It feels very cheap and very nasty and very mean spirited in a way that that you do yeah, that you do see in in a lot of horror films. A film like Hostel, I think, which is a film that I absolutely hate. I thought it was a fun film. I mean, I mean, I I, I don't I don't, I, don't, I think this film is pretty much without any merit apart from yeah it's got some good gore i suppose but you know that's that's easy you know anyone can do that sure but the nastiness also comes out it just feels a bit lazy there's a whole bit you know where she's just walking down the street and then turns out that the camera angle is the point point of view of the killer and the camera just moves and it just smashes her face on the wall and that's it you know in yeah. any other argento film there would have been this whole 10 minute build where the camera's you know prowling around and spinning about and you know they mm. walk through like a red room and it's just flashing, yeah. and then, you know, they're killed, but it's done from the view of of the of a window, and then the window smashes. This it's just like, well, I guess we just have to kill someone else. Of I know, yeah. let's just smash exactly. It, it feels like he's just sort of like going through the motions as a filmmaker. You know, he's just yeah. One of the issues with this film, the the the, it feels gratuitous. The um the portrayal of women is very problematic. Then that brings us to the acting. So as mentioned previously, the acting in Argento's films is rarely the sort of focal point. 
But my God, the acting in this is... Max von Sydow is fine, but he's, you know, you could argue one of the greatest actors who um, who's ever lived. That's, you know, sometimes in films you do see that if the script is bad and direction is bad. You know, I can think of plenty of examples of good actors giving bad performances. But I in this, yeah, the um, in particular, the guy's friend who, spoiler alert, turns out to be the killer. That's what that's one of the worst acting performances I have ever seen. Yep. He's literally the first shot. He's sitting there smirking. And it's like I'm the killer. I'm I'm the killer. Yeah. It can't. It's too obvious. But he, I am he, the he's yeah. He's. I, I don't know if that's the way Argento is directing him. To just... Well, it doesn't feel like he's doing anything because you you know. And I remember like laughing, getting really annoyed with the film because the first ten minutes I liked the whole bit on the train, and then that has an Argento feel where you know they're stuck on this train. She drops the folder. She doesn't notice, and then she hides, and then. The killer might be on the train, might not, and it's you know, and just about as the train yeah. comes in, he pulls the blind down. That's cool. That's cool. That, yeah. that you know, that feels like Argento at least is putting some effort in. And then the rest of the film, it's like, oh, make uh, the movie, you know. It, it's so <laughs> you can say that because you're Italian. Disappointing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't think that. <laughs> but it, it, it's it's just so it's so sad. Like I kept saying it left a bad taste in the mouth. Where we had just watched Bird with a Crystal Plumage and Spear, where these films are just so vivid and so like they're exciting you know you feel like there's someone behind the camera who's excited to to explore all these ideas and then yeah. sleepless comes along and it's just depressing it's just really depressing yeah. it's just flat and lifeless and dog but it's weird yeah. I, uh, I went to the shop earlier and was listening to the soundtrack because um, the soundtrack is still goblin isn't it who does you does the amazing soundtrack in Suspiria and works has worked a lot with Argento and you know us. They're a prog rock band, aren't they? But they do some great film score work. Well, yeah. Well, they 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 predominantly do film work, but they've done a lot for Italian cinema, not just in Argento movies. Yeah. Um, and they all came back together for this because Argento, which makes me laugh, he wanted this to be the the deep red, the you know the Jallo of the twenty first century, and it's just so depressing to watch. And it was weird when I was walking around the shop and listening to the soundtrack. It kind of fit. I was like, okay, the soundtrack's there. And the more I thought about the film, the more I thought just how bonkers it was, the whole thing with the dwarf. So the dwarf, out. I think let's, let's let's talk about that. So as we mentioned earlier, the gimmick of this film is that there is a dwarf murderer who Max von Sydow thought he caught. And then there are more, um, you know, 17 years later, more murders with the same MO start. Uh, happening and they know from some forensics that it's a dwarf or someone of a small stature who's um, committing these murders as we mentioned it is the protagonist's friend a friend of the protagonist who turns out to be the killer he was the murderer when he was a kid that's why they thought it was a dwarf and then he went away to a different country still killing but that's why there was a big 17 year old uh, gap between these murders and <laughs> to convince people and us as the audience that there is still a dwarf committing these murders. He has like a mannequin, a dwarf mannequin that he dressed that he's dressed up and he's like going around with that he has on a stick that he's like like scaring people with. It's not even him doing it. It's this drunk homeless guy. Is it really? I'd forgotten that that was even the case. It's this drunk homeless guy that he uses. The one cool bit is Max von Sydow dies halfway through the film and he has a yeah. heart attack because he's scared by this dwarf thing. It's this dwarf thing. It's just this homeless guy crouched in the corner it's, with a dwarf on a. It's on nearly a so bad it's good, but it's not. It's just bad. It is, because I was walking around thinking, you know what? The bad taste is gone. 
But I started to re- you know think about the film. I was like, you know, I kind of enjoyed yeah. it. It was sort of yeah. instead. It's like, no, I'm actually no, no. This is just poisonous. This movie. This is just so messy and dreadful and depressing and such a backwards retrograde step. And there are small little moments in it that you're thinking, oh god, if he had actually cared. Mm. Like the whole last bit where they go into the house and then turns out the dad was covering up for the son and then the son gets his head blown off. And then the, yeah. the credits start to roll, but the film's still going on. And one of the key pieces of evidence, the police just destroy. Um, yeah. He has an inhaler and apparently all of a sudden the character remembers that actually a big clue was the fact he heard someone inhaling. And then the police just crush this inhaler and the film's just going on with this That's weird right. soundtrack, which... Again, it's cool, but it's just not for this movie. One of the issues, I think, is that the Italian film industry has really, like, suffered a lot of, like, lack of funding. And you can kind of see it. it anything kind of post-2000s from Italian cinema, not so much now. We've had a resurgence with, obviously, Luca Guadagnino and um, Hand of God, which is really good. Um, okay. Um, I really like that. And it's coming as a bit of a resurgence, but you look at from about 2000 to arguably 2018, there is a real low-grade, almost shot-on-video feel. Sleepless feels more dated than, say, Burning yeah. Crystal. And it's, and it's only 20 years old. Yeah, and it's yeah. only 20 years old, but it feels yeah. so much more... That should have been his first film. Yeah. It's, 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 it's unfortunate that he seems to have gone backwards and just, you know, started off really, really strong and gotten, you know, after Suspiria or maybe, you know, since the 80s or 90s, gotten steadily worse. Depends who you ask. You know, I, I you know, I, I, I liked opera. I liked the Stendhal syndrome, um, which is probably his most like ugly movie. Okay, uh, it's, it's quite okay. a nasty film, the Stendhal syndrome. But it's funny he addresses it in his book where people, because obviously his last film was Dracula 3D. He in, in in the book he goes, you know, it doesn't upset me that people say my movies are terrible because I know there's someone out there who's still scared by them. And it's like. Doesn't, <laughs> that's, what? That's not even. That, what does that mean? That's rubbish. So yeah, really disappointing, depressing. But yeah, there's still a part of me that in my head thinks I probably will rewatch yeah. Sleepless at some point. Maybe because yeah. I am an Argento. Of course, yeah, yeah. And it's a shame that yeah, like you say, that's generally thought of as his last good movie. This is not a good movie, so I don't want to watch anything he's made after this. Which is why I feel bad because like people usually say like Opera was his last like decent yeah. film. And then it's yeah. kind of hit and miss. And then he had like a slew of hit and misses and Sleepless was considered like a, a return to form. Total Film, the respected um, film criticism yeah. magazine, gave it four out of five. I mean, every, I mean, you know, Bird with the Crystal Plumage, Four Flies on Grey Velvet, Deep Red, Suspiria, Inferno, Tenebrae, Phenomena, Opera, his segment of The Two Evil Eyes, Stendhal Syndrome I like. I've seen a few, I've seen a couple, like a couple others, by him, uh, Tenenbrae, I do like quite a lot. Um, I think I've, I think I've seen Opera with you ages ago. Um, I don't with the needle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't think I remember it all that well. But, um, but yeah, Bird of the Crystal Plumage and Suspiria, both very good movies. Bird of the Crystal Plumage, in particular, I thought was really good. So I mean, because I remember watching a lot of these with you the first time, and I remember you saying you were slightly disappointed. Have you? Because you never the you were never the biggest. Artist. No. No, he's not. He's he's yeah. He's he's not gonna. None of his films are gonna make my um top ten list, unfortunately. But um, I still um can appreciate that he's an important and influential filmmaker. Um, and I there are certain things he does, particularly his use of color, um, and sort of you know, um, meticulous 
way he plants little details and little bits which at first seem um, inconsequential and then you know when you watch the film again it you know all come together very well I think he, d- he does that very very well um, but yeah you are definitely I mean you picked this episode you are the big Argento fan um, rather than me mm. well hopefully I mean I, I, has your opinion changed slightly has it gone up slightly in your uh, I liked Bird of the Crystal Plumage um, better than I remember it Suspiria about the same to be honest um, uh, but yeah I I, 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 I think he's a good filmmaker like um you know he's just made some bad movies but you know so have a lot of filmmakers uh but yeah i'd say that um that about wraps up our argento episode good old dario's uh filmography there and his general sort of trajectory yeah um yeah i would i mean if, if you've seen any of these films or you're interested or you've heard i would recommend watching the first two we mentioned bird with the crystal plumage and suspiria and i would go in with an open mind, because these films are very fractured, they're bizarre, they're odd, they're quirky, but if you can get on board with his vibe... Yes, absolutely. I hope you guys have enjoyed it as much as we have. Yes. Whoever Whoever's listening uh, to our podcast, I have no idea. We should find names. Find out who you are. Um, but yes, uh, follow us on uh, social media, that way you're notified about all our podcasts. We're The Horror Autopsy on Facebook, Twitter... And Instagram. Uh, Stay scary, everyone. And we will see you in the next one. Peace.